Hey everyone, this is at New York iDoc, aka Dr. Damaris Raimondi. I'm an optometrist and welcome to my show. This podcast is for anyone interested in the unique stories experienced by healthcare professionals across varying medical fields. Do not forget to hit that subscribe button and let's get to today's guest. She is a physician at the University of Miami. She is a cancer researcher and works in surgical oncology. And as fate would have it, she finds herself right now in Guayaquil, Ecuador, which is the epicenter of the coronavirus in Latin America. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dr. Alexandra Moran. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. On your Instagram, which is at Alexa Moran, MD, and that'll be in the show notes too. You have been slowly telling us about your experiences. And then a couple of weeks ago, I DM'd you and I realized, wait a minute, you are not in Miami right now. But before we get into all of that, let's get to know you a little better. Uh, where did you grow up? I was actually born in Annapolis, Maryland. Mm-hmm. in the U.S., but I was raised in Ecuador, in Guayaquil, Ecuador. I did high school here. I was pre-med, and then I eventually did college in the U.S. I went mm-hmm. back to Maryland. But then with when I decided I was going to go for med school, it was just easier for me to do med school here in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. So I came back, moved back to Ecuador, did medicine here, And then when I graduated, I moved back to the U.S. So I've kind of been all over. <laughs> back and forth. Is a lot of your family still in Ecuador or many here? Most of my family lives in Ecuador. I have a couple uncles and aunts in Miami and some in D.C., some in New York. But most of my family, I would say 90% of it lives still in, in Ecuador. That's awesome. I have another Ecuadorian friend who has like a similar story as you actually. Now that you mention it, a lot of you know, traveling back and forth. You must love it. So that's good. Yes, yes, of course. It's yeah. always great to come back home. Again, I want to thank you for being open about your experiences on Instagram. But for us, let's get a little bit of a timeline. We have been hearing a lot about Guayaquil in the news. I know it all started with, you know, slow whatsapp messages and everything but you were there earlier when did you how did you end up there basically like were you traveling for holidays i'm studying for my boards mm-hmm. and i decided to come here and study for a couple of months mm-hmm. and i planned it around my my nephew's birth she was due uh, in march So I kind of came a couple of months before and to stay up to the birth. And then I was supposed to fly back. So I've been here for a while. I've been here for about three months now. And um, when I was supposed to fly back, it's when Ecuador decided to shut down borders. So I wasn't able to fly back to the US. And now I'm here. Are the borders still shut right now? Yes, yes, they are. I mean, I could technically go back because they're doing a lot of humanitarian flights. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I can help. You know, I'm here. I can I have my license here. I can practice here. I just think I can be of more help here than I would in the U.S. right now. So um, I'm closer to family. 
Mm-hmm. I was enjoying my nephew until just a couple of weeks ago. And when it's a pandemic, you want to be close to home. Yes, it ends up being a lot better. I know where I live in Queens, it's a really diverse community with a lot of immigrant families and a lot of people are stranded. My neighbors are, but they said, you know what, we're actually kind of happy that we're stranded in a way because it's just better this way. Right. As opposed to like coming back to New York and all that where things are also as bad. But uh, if you could please paint the picture of how things were, let's say like March 1st, what was the general like feeling in the city of Guayaquil? I think for the most part at the beginning when we were seeing, even in, I would say probably January, when um, you could see this evolving around the world. People still here were kind of like, it's not going to happen here. It's not going to happen here. And I was just kind of telling everybody, it's like, it is coming. It's very naive to think that it won't. And I'm worried because Ecuador doesn't have the infrastructure or the money to handle this. So Mm -hmm. when the first case came. um, When was that around? So that was. Uh, I would say two months ago. Yeah, about two months ago. And they did quarantine the the first uh, patient, but they quarantined her a little over, maybe I think it was, I think it was two weeks after that, which, you know, by then was already too late. It happened Mm -hmm. that she came back on a carnival weekend or a holiday here in Ecuador. So she had gone traveling... (laughs) all over Ecuador as a part of tourism. So it, it was just a little too late when they realized the magnitude of the problem of, of her being positive And, you know, I also think, though, that she might have not been the first case, but it was just the first that they knew about. I was wondering about this patient, uh, patient zero, and she was identified. I don't have her name right now, but I was wondering why was she identified given HIPAA and everything? I just feel like that would not the, um, happen actually, here. No, no, no. That would never happen. In the yeah. <laughs> I was actually outraged. It was one of my first comments when they kept, um, so it leaked. They leaked the her history, like all of you know, how you do the first, you know, name and uh, family history, allergies, mm-hmm. all that first page of the patient was leaked. Okay. And I remember when I kept getting that image on my WhatsApp and they were like, do you know anything about this? I'm like, who is sending this? And why is this out of the hospital? The, it, it was just insane for me because I'm used to the U.S. guidelines, right? So mm-hmm. um, here, I don't know what to tell you. I don't think, uh, I think the person that, the, the resident that leaked it, got in trouble i think there was um a suit at some point but i i'm not familiar with the case i don't know why they felt that they had to identify that person even still today whenever somebody says that and they leaked i mean somebody got into their facebook and put like it was very public all her mm-hmm. meetings with the family members and whatnot it was just it, ecuador is a small country so there's, it's a small t- uh, town kind of mindset and therefore a lot of gossip, I guess, mm-hmm. which it comes from being a small country. And, and um, that was just sad that the privacy was not respected whatsoever. 
Yeah, and now it's all over the New York Times. I think just last week, too, there was, like, a whole video on it. And I'm like, okay, like, I get that they released it there. But really interesting. I didn't know that it was uh, circled through WhatsApp. I mean, of course, that's yeah, the way yeah. we communicate. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really unfortunate. And then after that, when did you first start getting involved with the medical um, community yeah so we were actually so again when this kind of exploded we were at the beach um we were on holiday and i remember my dad um we're having he did like a barbecue and they invited people over and i was like why are we still having meetings we should be isolating you know i was kind of getting trying to cross that point with my family like stop doing this and uh, my brother invited a couple of friends over and while we were having this dinner um they were saying like oh i think you know this this so-and-so was positive and so-and-so was positive i'm like well that that just proves my point if you were within a circle of somebody that is positive and you come have dinner here you've exposed all of us so i kind of tried to make the point that we had to start this early like just trying to you know, be socially distant when that wasn't even a term in the U.S. Um, and we traveled back to the city because I told my dad he was um, very adamant to stay at the beach. You know, we would be more isolated, isolated with um, people wise. If something happens here, there's no hospitals like you will die. So my dad is diabetic, hypertensive, overweight. Uh, older than 60 so it just had you know he ticks all the boxes and I was like let's go back to the city where at least there's hospitals and then when I came back to the city it exploded within a matter of days there were just like hundreds and hundreds of cases and they just kept going up and up and up and I decided to do online I started helping a lot of people started um, contacting me and just like asking me, you know, what do I do? I think I have it. I'm like, just, you know, I really just trying to give as much advice as I could. Mm. But I don't think the country was ready. I don't think I even was mentally ready to what was about to happen following that. And then um, it happened that after a couple of, of weeks of this, of days of people just, you know, everybody thinking they had the, the, the symptoms and whatnot. My sister-in-law calls me and she's like, I'm going into labor. What do I do? And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. So I told her, I'm like, the least time, the least amount of time that you're at the hospital, the least exposure you're going to have. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to your house and I'm going to start, you know, measuring how much you're dilated and just go from there. And then um, when we eventually went to the hospital one of my really my best friends uh was in the er and he literally stopped me at the emergency he's like do not get out and i'm like okay but my sister-in-law in labor she's like just don't get out of the car and we had to scramble for mds at that point there was no gynecologist there's no anesthesiologist there was no neonatologist nobody was available and I call the gynecologist and he goes, well, I think you're going to have to help out because I just don't have residence and you're an MD and you know, it's your nephew. So mm -hmm. we, I ended up delivering my nephew with this doctor. And I, since I was exposed to the virus, 
by being at the hospital, um, we did quarantine together. And after that, after being exposed, I was like, I might as well just go to the hospital. So I applied for the hospital for the public hospital job and just started working there. Wow, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Just the need. I think it's been said many times, too, in the news here, like on a good day, things are tough in in Ecuador as a developing nation. And with a pandemic, it's just got everybody all hands on deck. Yes. 40% of the country is in poverty Mm -hmm. and there's unsatisfied need for hospitals and healthcare, even though healthcare is free here, it's just not equipped for what the country needs. Unfortunately, so many things had to go wrong for it to create this. What do you think about uh, testing access? What is that like right now in Ecuador? So, unfortunately, I was doing the numbers today because they just posted um, the Instituto Nacional de Investigación de Salud Pública. And I was doing the numbers and only 0.3% is being tested, which is nothing. Nothing. Ecuador has a population of 17 million and they have done overall 64,000 tests. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. that's just insanity to me to think about it because it, it, they'll, they'll never know the truth of what's going on. They've accepted donations at this point of a lot of tests. There have been a lot of private companies buying tests for, and that's a way to kind of increase the number of testing. But socially, what the country needs is for the government to be able to to give that to the public because again a lot of people are here are poor and not in a position to be able to purchase these tests because they're costing up to two hundred dollars and oh, wow, yeah. and the minimum wage here is five hundred dollars a month so that means you're taking half of the income for a month to get tested it's definitely bridging and making even bigger the inequalities that already exist Right. And I did want to know what you thought about the numbers from the Los Angeles Times. I think what they had maybe yesterday was 1,636 deaths. What they posted today, Mm -hmm. they said um, deceased was 871. This comes from the Ministry of Health Department. This this is what they are saying publicly, which is 871. And then they put a little asterisk and on the little fine print at the end of it, it says likely COVID positive. It's 1,212 extra. So that total, that adds up to 2,083 deaths. That's roughly 8% of what's being tested. Again, only 0.3% of the population is being tested. Of that 0.3%, 8% are dying. That's a very high number. And I don't think it's representative of what is actually going on. One, because we don't have enough tests. Right? And if they do, they're just, there's not enough hands. And two, it's not at the very beginning where we were like at the top of the curve. It wasn't being reported as a coronavirus because people weren't being tested. So therefore, You couldn't report it as a coronavirus death. Therefore, it wasn't accounted for. 
another way I know these numbers are way off, it's because I have a lot of friends here who work not only on private uh, hospitals, but public ones. And when I would speak with them, I think on average, everyone would say maybe 50 die per shift. Just do the math on that. Yeah, that's already okay. not anywhere close to what's being reported. Right. And yeah. my cousin actually works at the Registro Civil, which translates to, I would say, the Social Security. Okay. So it um, so it's a report. It's like where you get your ID numbers, where you go register if you're married, where you go register if you die. And she works there. And I called her. I'm like, so what's the truth? Like, how many are dying? She's like, well, today I filed 300 deaths in one day. That's just one day of her working. Yeah, numbers that we just haven't seen before. That doesn't match at all what's being at reported. All. Yeah, at all. at all. What do you make of all the videos that have been posted on social media earlier this month of the bodies being you know, left on the street and all that? What do you make of that? It's- have you seen that? Yes, they're left with no choice. That's the truth. It's, I don't think anybody in their right mind wants to leave their loved one on the street or put them in the river or, you know, all these things that you see online. It's sad, but true. But there's just no, the government doesn't have enough hands to keep up with the amount of deaths we're seeing. The people that live in the poverty line and and below the poverty line just can't afford to have and I'm going to be very grotesque here but just you just can't afford to have a rotten body in your living room when you know eight seven people live in the same house mm-hmm. so you you look for a way to get rid of the body because you just can't wait four days until the government comes and picks it up So whenever I leave the hospital, I have to drive by one of the cemeteries and uh, the line just goes on for blocks and blocks of people waiting to bury. And you just see, you know, the coffins in the in in the cars and and just people just waiting. And and this is a private cemetery. So I don't even want to know how the public ones are or how they're even managing because it, it. I just can't even imagine. Yeah, I don't think any of us can. It's just, again, unbelievable things that are happening that are true. And I wanted to ask you, what do you want the world to know about what's happening in Ecuador right now? It's unfortunate, but we're not only fighting coronavirus itself, the death of coronavirus itself. We're fighting it as a poor country, as a third world country, as an in-debt country, because it was very bad economically even before all of this happened. And not only that, but we're fighting also with the corruption that involves people that are leading this country. And by that, I mean not only government people, but the people that are managing hospitals, that are managing all these contracts so ventilators were being sold like 
on you know illegally and and you're being purchased um masks that didn't work that didn't have fda or, or niosh approval uh, it was just insanity the reports that would come out of all these illegal dealings and businesses taking advantage of the situation which to me was just unacceptable unacceptable and it's just sad that's the reality of what Ecuador is right now. Yeah, it just drives people to do really unscrupulous things. And even here, but like you said, once you're really dealing with a developing nation, it just exponentially gets worse. Yes. And let's pivot and let's talk a little bit in Espanol para <laughs> nuestra audiencia hispanohablante. Um, Yo estaba viendo por tus historias de Instagram sobre mitos, sobre la, mitos, mitos, sobre la coronavirus. Uh, ¿Qué deben, qué quiere usted que la gente sepa para cuidarse? ¿Qué deben hacer? Yo creo que lo mejor que pueden hacer como sociedad es lavarse las manos y si vas a usar una mascarilla o una máscara, tratar de investigar cómo colocártela bien. Muchas personas lamentablemente no saben el correcto uso de una mascarilla y creo que eso aumenta hasta cierto punto el contagio. Eh, al colocártela mal, si te la colocas de, de la manera incorrecta, se te sube hacia los ojos y ya te estás contaminando. Eh, el uso de guantes, eh, si no lo haces de la manera correcta, aumentas el, manero de, eh, el, eh, aumentas el, el porcentaje de infección guiarse y seguir las personas que son médicos porque lamentablemente hay situaciones políticas que no dan consejos pertinentes pero seguir a médicos y, y seguir a la CDC y a um, la ONU que son la, las, las organizaciones mundiales de la salud que te van a dar información acertada y que ayudan con todo esto de los mitos de, de que si el ajo te cura, si el, 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 el té de jengibre, si, en fin, hay muchas cosas que, que son, que no son tratamientos adecuados para el coronavirus, lamentablemente no hay uno y, y hasta que no se haya o no hay evidencia científica para ello no, no lo podemos recomendar. ¿Y tienes usted algunas palabras de, uh, para animar a la gente de Guayaquil? Todo acaba, yo creo que todo acaba a, a su tiempo, yo creo que como sociedad la gente hace un esfuerzo y si se quedan en casa, pues podemos salir adelante y, 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 y superar esta situación. Para mi curiosidad, ¿tienen toque de queda ahorita? Sí, es por pico y placa, se dice aquí, so, eh, dependiendo de la placa de tu carro, tú puedes salir un día a la semana. Y puedes salir de, en cierto horario, porque no todos los establecimientos están abiertos, solo los supermercados, las farmacias y los abastecimientos de comida. El resto todo está cerrado eh, y solo pueden salir en horarios no, no establecidos las personas que tienen un salvoconducto, como médicos, eh, paramédicos, ambulancias, eh, todo lo que sea de seguridad y de hospitales. 
Bien, ¿y cómo estás usted? ¿Cómo estás? ¿Estás en un cuarto ahorita? ¿Estás con tu familia un poquito aislada? Es, no, yo estoy totalmente aislada. Estoy, yo llego del hospital y vengo a un cuarto, que es un cuarto de invitados, y, y, y yo me estoy quedando aquí no no salgo para nada. Eh, cuando hay lunch, almuerzo o cena, ellos eh, me, me dejan en el pasillo la comida y, y me mandan un, un mensaje de texto. Y cuando ellos se van, yo salgo a coger mi plato y me meto al cuarto, como, lo lavo y de ahí lo vuelvo a dejar afuera. Es un, es un sacrificio grande porque estás en un cuarto encerrada, sin luz, sin, na sin ver a nadie. Sin es un poco deprimente sobre todo, pero, pero you know, es el sacrificio que tienes que hacer para proteger a tus familiares, a tus seres queridos. Claro que sí, que es un esfuerzo, pero lo que eso me hace pensar es de que qué bueno que tenemos nuestros celulares para poder comunicarnos. Eso sería casi imposible sin esto. Si no podríamos transmitir estas noticias o informarnos de lo que realmente está sucediendo. Exactamente. Yo creo que el, el poder tener el internet disponible para actualizarte con los últimos medicamentos, los últimos tratamientos, eh, exámenes, estadísticas, incluso no solamente la parte médica, sino la parte social, porque lo social te lleva a una estabilidad mental también. El, tu conversar con amigos, con familiares, eh, que me manden fotos de mi sobrino recién nacido, me llena el corazón oh, sí. y, me, y me hace feliz, entonces eso me ayuda mucho oh, Sí, eso es muy importante, claro que sí la, la socialización no se acabó uh -huh. Thank you so much for sharing your story and let's pivot back to English Could you share some words of wisdom for our aspiring younger listeners and for our aspiring Latinas in medicine? As a woman And as a Latina, you have pretty much odds against you when it comes to any surgical field or in medicine in general. Um, but I think if you really want something, you can get it. You just have to go and grab it and make your own opportunities. I didn't know anybody in the States, in the medical field. And I was lucky enough that I met a mentor and I just literally grabbed onto it. I would volunteer as much as I could and you go ahead and open your own doors and if you volunteer and work and learn new stuff and make yourself available in regards of anything that they need, you're going to become indispensable and you're going to come become someone they value. So when you prove your value, you can just, you know, it'll, it'll just go from there. You can just make your opportunities. That's how it started with me. Uh, I just started volunteering, volunteering, and then they picked up that I would speak, you know, obviously Spanish and English. And I was like, yeah, I'll translate for you. I'll translate for you. I'll help you this. I'll help you that. And eventually got me a job. And now I'm, you know, I'm head of my laboratory. And I'm, again, you create your opportunities. So I think if you want it bad enough, you'll just, You have to go get it. You have to go knock on doors, Instagram, emails, whatever you need. But you just, you have to make your way. I think uh, representation matters and it's important. So if you can find somebody Latin or a female that you can, that can mentor you, it's even better because they'll tell you 
the knickknacks of the job and how to overcome certain obstacles that we will encounter at some point. 100%. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing again. It's so important to reach out and let people know that you're willing and able and, you know, to go the extra mile. That's always noticed and always appreciated. Of course. And where can our listeners find you on Instagram? So my Instagram is at Alexa Moran MD. Thank you so much again for taking your time to do this. I know we all wish you the very best and thank you so much for, you know, being a ray of hope and light in the middle of all this darkness right now. Thank you so much. Don't forget guys to rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it and say bye everybody. Bye. Bye everybody.